Cotney Attorneys and Consultants is dedicated to helping the construction industry with legal, business, and safety challenges. Welcome to this week's episode of Law and Mortar with John Kenny and Trent Cotney. Hey, this is Trent Cotney, CEO of Cotney Attorneys and Consultants, and I want to welcome everybody to another episode of Law and Mortar. As always, I've got the man, the myth, the legend, John Kenny, with me. John, how are you doing? Uh, doing great. Once again, it's great to be back here for another episode of Law Mortar. Yep, number 51. So we keep trucking along. Huge news this week. Um, you know, it's it's ironic that this news came when I was on the road and couldn't get a lot of information out. So uh, uh, giant news. I guess let's start with the biggest headline there is and we'll work backwards from that. Uh, the Biden administration had threatened to issue an ocean emergency temporary standard that applied to employers that have over 100 employees. That has now come to fruition. It was published uh, on November 5th, and um, it uh, has a variety of things that need to be unpacked in there in order for you to understand what to do. The first thing that you got to understand is that you have to maintain a checklist that is separate from your uh, employee records that shows the status of each person. Uh, you must keep the documentation that proves testing or vaccination. Okay, so that's another issue. Um, you have to provide employees with at least four hours of paid time off to get vaccinated if it is during a work week. And if they get sick from the vaccine, you must also give them PTO. Okay, you are not required to pay for testing unless there are other state or local guidelines that require it. Okay, uh, in addition to that, this OSHA standard has stated that you must educate your employees. You have to be able to tell them about the importance of vaccines. There's a great, uh, you know, key reasons why you should get vaccinated on, on the CDC website. You have to explain about this new emergency temporary standard, what it means and what they have to do. And OSHA is going to be looking for that because it is part of the rule. Okay, so very important that you educate. Um, you know, there are a lot of different questions that have come up. Uh, I'm going to save one of them uh, for the end for the question for the day. But, you know, John, what are you hearing? Obviously, my phone has been ringing off the hook from the legal side. What are you hearing on the business side? Well, the business side, I still think there is some hope out there that there's going to be legal challenges to this that's going to <clears throat> basically not make it an issue. But as always, like we like to tell everybody, I would never count on that because the clocks are ticking and there may be an overlap. You never know. Who, who knows? But I think also to the which is very you clarified it very well. I think that's the biggest problem so far is the confusion of what we are supposed to do as a business, which. It was not very clear. This is starting to make it clearer. So I guess from a business standpoint, from here now, knowing all that we're going through today, uh, I would suggest you almost have to have immediate huddle, a safety huddle, and start training and, and uh, educating. And um, I, I get, and I'll ask you this question: If I was from the business side, so I guess now, if I, I haven't been able to ask who's vaccinated or not vaccinated, I assume through this, whoever's not vaccinated, you have the right to ask that. <clears throat> excuse me, ask that question. And they actually have to come forward, correct? Yeah, you have the ability to do that regardless. You can ask about somebody's vaccination status. But here's the key thing, you know, some this is something that I want our listeners to understand. If you have unvaccinated employees in your workplace and you have over 100 employees, then by no later than December 5th, 
you've got to make sure that they're wearing masks at work, okay? And then the actual OSHA regulations, all the stuff that I just mentioned at the beginning of our, our show, that goes into effect January 4th, 2022. So yeah, you can absolutely, you not only can you ask, but you've got to actually provide evidence backing some of that stuff up. So okay. um, just a huge administrative burden. Uh, it will absolutely be legally challenged. You know, here in Florida, governor has is, is already filed suit um, or is in the process of doing that. And uh, from a constitutional standpoint, the, the question arises, why 100 or more? You know, are you saying that if I've got 99 employees, I'm suddenly safe and I don't need to do this? So um, it, it kind of raises a lot of questions. Um, I wonder whether or not that's the next that's coming for under 100 employees. So um, be prepared because it is a big lift in a short amount of time. So it sounds to me that there's you only got so much time to get the shot if you do have people to start which if you take the two shot process, you're really spreading it out over six weeks, which takes us to the pretty much the end of the year. So whether or not they're going to challenge it, I guess really as a business, you got to start going like you got to start preparing for it as it is. Correct. Yep. Get to it. That's the, that's the message. Um, let's turn to the second thing. And that is uh, the federal vaccine uh, mandate for contractors that are doing federal work. Okay, this is Executive Order 14042. The same week, again, while I'm traveling, uh, additional guidance came out that talked about um, what contractors have to do and what they can, and it eased it a little bit. So let me go over that generally so everybody understands it. Again, this is only for contractors that are engaged in working for the federal government. If you do not work for the federal government, this does not apply. So the first thing is, is that if you have a contract provision in your contract that requires you to get vaccinated on one of these federal projects, there was a December 8th deadline for you to comply. That is no longer sort of hard and fast. It is still a compliance date, but there is some flexibility with regard to processing employees' requests for an accommodation because they might have a medical reason or a religious basis. The ones that we see the most right now are religious reasons. So there are a lot of different uh, requests for accommodation popping up from that. The second thing that, uh, that you need to understand is that the contractor under this new guidance has the ability to determine the appropriate means of enforcement. And what they've said is they, gotta, they said, look, you got to educate, you got to talk to them, you got to hold their hand, you got to do all this stuff, then you discipline. Okay. And how that looks is up to you. Uh, as far as a request for accommodation, if you are on a federal job site and you have an employee or employees that have requested an accommodation for religious or medical reasons, you need to understand that CDC guidelines still need to be followed. Those people have to wear masks, they have to socially distance, and the federal government can refuse them access to the job site, okay? Um, notification of these issues is, is encouraged, meaning that if you've got accommodation issues, and you've got people that are on the job site, then what you want to do is make sure that you notify the federal government. You're not required to do it based on this guidance, but it is encouraged. That's the exact language. Um, two of the things that are, are worth noting. One is it is said that the federal government must work in good faith, right? They've got to work in good faith with the contractors. They recognize this is a heavy lift in a short amount of time. So they are uh, been directed to work in good faith, which means they may be a little bit more lenient but ultimately they do have the ability to terminate contractors that are not compliant for cause, okay? 
Uh, last thing is, is affiliates are covered that work directly or indirectly or have some third party control. At the end of the day, you have to make sure that you have got um, uh, all your ducks in a row as far as your different corporate entities. The ability to take employees and shift them to another company to try to avoid this guidance is not going to work any longer. So, John, again, very complex, a lot to unpack there. Um, what are you hearing on the, the federal side? Same thing, confusion. Um, I, you know, I think we don't do a good job when I say we, I actually mean our federal government at this point. Messaging never seems to be on point. It always seems to get either diluted, stretched, mixed up. I, I don't know the exact combination of the best words to use, but um, it's almost like at this point, we're coming into year three of the pandemic, like it or not, we are. 2022 becomes the start of the third season, which is absolutely unbelievable. So hopefully at some point we can start to get some clear direction and what we really need to do, because I don't think we're quite there yet. Um, so again, I think this is a lot of, so I, I've got a lot of people who have asked me the question, well, I don't understand why I need to abide by this. If I, you know, what do I do if I got, you know, uh, I got a 10 person crew and eight of them are vaccinated, two of them aren't. Well, really by this, you'd have to either work with that eight crew that is vaccinated or find two from another crew to substitute in, right? Correct. It's, there's really not a whole lot around it once it takes effect. Yeah, you, you, there are, there are other potential exceptions associated with accommodations. Okay. And we have had some very detailed discussions with contractors about how that works. So to the extent that any of our listeners want advice on accommodations or exceptions or how you potentially navigate these rules legally, please feel free to give us a call. Like I said, both myself and our employment division are working around the clock on it. Um, but, you know, I agree with you 100%. This is a lot, and, and I understand the idea behind it, but it is passing the buck on to the employer. And uh, I don't necessarily agree with that, at least from an employer standpoint. So again, more remains to be seen on this. There will be legal challenges. There will be additional guidance. This is a moving target. So stay tuned for more on that. Um, I want to update everybody on kind of some of the stuff that we're doing, John. And on my end, like I said, I just got back from Indianapolis. I met with the Indiana Roofing Contractors Association. Great group of people. They had their trade show. I spoke on a variety of different things, but uh, mainly the materials issue. And uh, I want to thank them for their hospitality. Uh, really had a great time. Heading up to NRCA in Chicago next week for uh, their uh, uh, fall meetings. Uh, a lot on the table there. Uh, looking forward to unpacking things. They're always very hospitable. And it's, it's going to be great to be able to spend time with people that uh, have welcomed me with open arms. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, then after that, Western States. Got Western States board meetings in California. So I'm going to be on the road a lot, John. I won't be able to see you for a while. What's uh, what's going on with you? Yeah, well, I, I guess, as the listeners know, I'll be holding the local port down for the next couple of weeks while you're out uh, traveling. So um, other than that, we've been uh, some webinars and working with uh, different organizations. Um, I know we have some listeners that aren't always on the roofing side because we have a lot of different subscribers. So recently uh, did some uh, uh, speaking there and working on some stuff coming up with the HVAC industry. Um, there's exciting stuff there. Uh, for everybody listening, you'll see uh, next month, um, I believe it's around the 8th, whenever the date comes out, I'm going to do a uh, plans and specs and contract of what to, to avoid getting contractors in trouble for National Women in Roofing. 
on their education uh, committee for for the uh, organization for the month or for the you know for their monthly uh, webinar. So got some good stuff coming up. And um, what are we looking at Thanksgiving in three or four weeks, and then Christmas, and then New Year's, and then a couple more weeks, and I think we're down to fourteen weeks, and we're all going to be back at IRE. So there's a lot of stuff coming up here. This is going to be a busy time of year. Yeah, absolutely. And a uh, little shout out for you, John. Uh, we just got our director of estimating program up on shopcotney.com. Go to shopcotney.com. Uh, for our listeners, if you call our customer service line, we'll provide you with a discount. Uh, just reference that you have listened to Law and Mortar. Um, right now, we have five different levels of training for estimating, ranging from beginner, intermediate to advanced to director of purchasing to what are the other two? There's certification. We have a, uh, we have a professional certificate course, um, which really tests the skills. And that's meant for your beginners, uh, uh, you know, under five years experience, because you want to be able to give them some recognition. So it's a great thing for companies, um, you know, give your people some recognition. And then we have the certification uh, program for over five years. And again, you've got, there's real hard criteria to go through. It follows all the, uh, you know, the, the, you know, continuing education certification program criteria. And I will tell you, you know, we've had a couple questions about this. So I'm going to throw it out there. We, we're, you know, working on accreditation on a national level for all this. So everything is really um, based upon all the standards for continuing ed and certification and training programs. So it, it's good. It, it's really good for anybody in a company to use. Or if you're an individual wanting to advance your career, um, you know, I've had a lot of people over the years say to me, well, how do I learn the next level? Here's how you learn it. So you can impress your company and move up the ladder easier. Absolutely. And like you said, we're, this is not just roofing. We are working for every single trade. I know you said we've got HVAC in the works. In addition yep. to that, the electricians uh, have reached out to us. We are going to be able to offer it uh, for pretty much any trade that is out there and provide something that really hasn't existed in the marketplace. So Excited about that and excited about what's to come. John, it's that time again. Uh, it is time for question, question time. Right. And uh, got a good one that just came in fresh this week that I figured would tie into our original conversation. This is uh, from Lisa. Lisa's question is, uh, under the OSHA emergency temporary standard, how do you define 100 employees? Do temporary employees count? Do uh, workers that work from home count? Do you have any guidance? Well, Lisa, yes, I do. So great question. Yep. Uh, 100 employees. It is determined based on the number of employees that you have on November 5th of this year. So today. Okay. So if you have 100 today, then guess what? You count. Okay. If you go underneath that, then you don't count. So it's basically what is whatever it is today kind of moving forward. Okay. It is your duty to be compliant at all times. Uh, temporary workers, temporary employees count, okay? Independent contractors do not. People that work from home count, but the regulations do not count as to them, okay? So if they're not interacting in the office, then they don't have to comply with the regular testing and the vaccine qualification, but you need to note that on your checklist, okay? Now, here's, here's another nuance, and this really gets into roofing and construction. If they are outdoor workers, okay, there is a general exemption to that. If you go to OSHA.gov and look at the facts section for this rule, there's a general exemption, but there's a lot of requirements for that, okay? You have to be able to show that there's no shared vehicles, like 
no crew cab travel, uh, that they only have de, uh, what they call de minimis uh, activity indoors at the home office or you know administrative or bathrooms or whatever it might be. So very little. Uh, and there's a few other things there. So 90% of the time, based on just how your roofing crews work, unless they are completely isolated, they go from home and then you know go to the job site, uh they may count they may they count towards the 100 but if they are deemed pure outdoor workers then the rules don't apply to them okay does that make sense so uh the other thing is that i want to mention is booster shots are not governed by this rule so vaccines are the only thing they're looking for they don't care about booster shots yet uh a lot to unpack john it is literally you know uh, I could probably speak on it for about two hours. It is so right now. If you're getting a two shot, you need to show two shots. If you're getting Johnson, which is the one shot, you need the one shot. Yeah. All I want is evidence of an FDA approved vaccine. Um, and you can show proof of, you can show physical card or you can show a scanner PDF of that card. Um, and it is the employer's duty to keep that separate from the employee files. So a very complex, a lot in a, a short amount of time. I wish there was a longer lead time on this, but that's the government. A lot play. of administrative duties to unpack here in the next few weeks. Yep, absolutely. So with that, John, I'm going to bid adieu to our uh, loyal listeners. I want to thank you once again for making Lawnmower the number one construction law podcast in the world. We appreciate your support. If you have any questions for me, reach out to me at tcotney at cotneycl.com. John, how can they get you? They get me at uh, jkenny at cottonycl.com. Fantastic. And we will see you next week. All right. Take care, everybody.